that before and we are going to start working on those again and we'll get it back up says but he flees exceedingly and was very angry and he prayed unto the lord and said i pray thee o lord was not this my saying when i was yet in my country therefore i fled before unto tarsus who knew that thou art a gracious god and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Do if thou will, see on you. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. So God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the Lord that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon Jonah, that he fainted. And he wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even with death. Then said the Lord that uh, thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast, uh, thou hast not laboured, neither madest to grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I say of Nineveh, pray thee wherein are more than sixscore thousand persons, that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also might perish. Let's go to him in prayer together. <clears throat> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for time. We thank you, Lord, that we can come around your word this morning we can seek to learn from from it lord i just pray this morning we thank your holy spirit now you give me wisdom and guidance in your time i pray lord that indeed everything i say this morning would be from you would be your words and your thoughts and that lord you would take your word this morning you would apply it to our hearts and our lives and may we uh, leave this place knowing that we have been in your presence lord and that we have uh, been under uh, the instruction of your word this morning i pray and we bless this time to you of course, we've been going through the book of Jonah, and you know we looked at Jonah chapter three last time. And you know, if the book of Jonah had ended with chapter three, you know, history would record Jonah, you know, as being a one, as being one of the greatest prophets of all time. I mean, that's what we will remember him to be. We will remember Jonah to be this this wonderful prophet who accomplished something that is incredible. You know, in the eyes of man, Jonah was a great success. When you look at chapter 3, which we looked at last time, it goes in there with a, a simple message. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be destroyed. And he preaches that message that God has given him faithfully. And God uses that message to motivate the whole city to repentance. The whole city turns to the Lord in faith. They believe, and they are spared. You know, in the eyes of man, that is the very definition of success. That is a successful missionary journey. You and I know God sees things much differently than you and I do. You know, when we look at someone, we look at the outward appearance. You know, we look at their actions and we look at the to make a judgment call, don't we? To make a judgment call on how successful they are or how good they are at something or indeed how spiritual they are. We look at the outward appearance, the outward actions. You know, our God looks at the inward. Our God looks at the heart. That's what God is interested in. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 you know, the Lord is speaking to the prophet Samuel as he's anointing the next king of Israel. 
day, and it speaks uh, David, of course, but as the other brothers come before the prophet Samuel, the Lord says to him, he says, For the Lord seeth, not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And we know that verse well, and it's so true. God looks at the heart. And that is exactly what we find here in chapter 4 of Jonah. You see, chapter 4, God reveals to you and I the thoughts and the intents of Jonah's heart. Now, God is indeed interested in much more than just his servant obeying him. Jonah did obey, and God used him in chapter 3. But God is interested in more than that. God is interested in the heart with which we do things. Verse 6 and verse 6 says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of God, doing the will of God from the heart. That's what God is after, and that's what God was after with Jonah. More than obedience, God wanted him to do the will of God from the heart. And so as I said, in chapter 4, Jonah's heart is revealed unto you and I. And you know, it's immediately evident that there is a serious to Jonah's heart. It's a serious problem that God must deal with. And so this morning, as we consider Jonah's heart and how God deals with Jonah, I want us to look at our own hearts and ask ourselves the question, how are we serving the Lord today? What is our heart attitude like as we serve the Lord? So first of all, notice with me this morning, if you would, Jonah's heart revealed. Jonah's heart revealed. Just read again verse 1. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Now, as verse 1 begins, we immediately see that something's not quite right here with Jonah. We immediately see something about Jonah's heart attitude. Because we're told here that something has greatly upset Jonah. It says it displeased Jonah exceedingly and made him very angry. The words displeased Jonah exceedingly literally mean it was evil unto Jonah. It was a great evil. In other words, something that has happened to Jonah is evil. It is wicked. He doesn't agree with it. He thinks it's wrong. You see, this is more than just displeasure that Jonah feels. Jonah is vexed. He is irate with what has happened. Furious. The words very angry here speak of Jonah being hot with grief and vexation. It's the idea of burning with anger. You know, we use that phrase, someone is burning with anger. That's what it's talking about here. He is hot under the collar. He is burning with rage. And the point of this verse and the point of these two phrases, exceedingly displeased exceedingly and very angry. The point of these two phrases is to express to you and I the great anger and irritation that Jonah feels here. It's not just that Jonah is unhappy. We need to understand that. Jonah is furious. He is angry about what has taken place. So what is it that has got Jonah so upset? What is it that has got him so burned up? Well, the little word that starts this whole verse makes it clear to you and I where we need to look. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. That word but tells me to go back to chapter 3. Back to chapter 3. So it's the events of chapter 3 that have caused Jonah's displeasure, have caused him to be so angry, to be so furious at God. That's who he's angry at here. That's who he's angry with. It's the events of chapter 3. As I said in the introduction, chapter 3 was a glorious chapter. At least it was when we looked at it two weeks ago. Chapter 3 is a glorious chapter. You've got this prophet of God who finally obeys the Lord. He finally goes and preaches God's message. A simple yet powerful message. And God uses that message to 
you know, work in the hearts of a city of a population between 600,000 and a million people. And they turn to the Lord in faith and they are spared by Almighty God. That's cause for rejoicing, is it not? That's cause for great joy. That's cause to, to praise God. You know, usually when a missionary or a preacher sees that kind of response to their preaching, they would be over the moon. I would be over the moon. But usually a preacher or a missionary would be over the moon to see that kind of response, to see God use them in such a powerful way. But instead, what do we find? We find that Jonah is furious. Jonah is angry that his preaching has been so successful. As we read on in verse 2, we see that Jonah now explains his anger to the Lord in prayer. It says in verse 2, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? I was yet in my country. Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish from you, for thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Now as we read this verse, you know, not only do we get a better understanding of why he is angry here, but we also get a better understanding of why he fled from God the first time. Why he fled to Tarshish. You see, Jonah basically says to the Lord, he says, I told you so. He says that. He says, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? He says, Lord, I told you so. I told you that this was going to happen if I went to Nineveh. And that's why I fled. That's why I ran away, because I knew this would happen. See, Jonah knew in his heart that this would happen if he preached and they repented. He knew that his God was a gracious, as he says here, a merciful God, a God who is slow to anger, a God of great kindness, and a God who repents of evil, relents of the evil. He knew what his God was like. And so Jonah knew that if he went to Nineveh and he preached the message that God had given him faithfully, and the people of Nineveh listened, Jonah knew God would forgive them. Jonah knew what his God is like. He knew God would spare them. And you see, this makes Jonah so angry. This is what makes him so angry here. It's the fact that God has spared Nineveh. That's why he's angry. That's why Jonah is upset here, because God has spared them. God has shown them grace and mercy. It seems evident that this chapter is taking place after the 40 days seems like the 40 days, you know, it says 40 days and yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. The 40 days seems to have passed and so Jonah is now well aware that God is not going to judge them. You know, the 40 days has come and it has elapsed and Nineveh is still there. And so Jonah knows that God has spared them. Jonah knows that God has heard their cries under him and God has spared them in his grace, turned away his wrath. And this is why Jonah is so angry. Jonah doesn't agree with God. That's basically what it is here. He is angry because he doesn't agree with the decision of God. You see, he doesn't think the Ninevites deserve to be shown God's grace. He doesn't think they deserve to be shown God's mercy. Instead, he thinks they just deserve to be shown God's judgment, God's wrath. He wants them to be destroyed. He wants God to send down fire from heaven and destroy them like Sodom and Gomorrah. He wants God to maybe send an invasion army and destroy them. Jonah doesn't care how God does it. He just wants God to destroy them. So the fact of the matter is, Jonah hated these people. That's the reality. 
Jonah was a man consumed by hate for these people. Nineveh, for the Assyrians. And as we said before, the Assyrians were the enemies of Israel. And that's where this hatred stemmed from. These were the enemies. These were the, the people who hated his people. And that's where this, this hatred stems from. He wants the enemies of Israel to be destroyed. He doesn't want them to be shown God's grace and God's mercy. But that doesn't excuse his hatred. It's completely wrong. His hatred towards these people, his lack of love for these people. Jonah is so angry that in verse 3 we read, he says, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You know, Jonah is so angry that God has spared Nineveh that Jonah just wants to die. He'd rather die than live knowing God has spared the Ninevites. That's how angry he is at the end. And it shows the hatred in his heart too, doesn't it? How much hatred he has in his heart. That God has shown grace to someone else and he has so much hatred he just wants to die. This man has a serious problem in his heart. You know, yes, Jonah had gone and obeyed God in chapter 3. And God had used him greatly. And that's one of the marvels, isn't it? That God still used this, this prophet, even though his heart was like this. You know, God used him, and yes, the people of Nineveh repented, but you know what? Jonah had done it with the wrong attitude the whole time. And because of it, Jonah's missing out on the blessing right now, isn't he? He could have been enjoying the time. He could have been in Nineveh, teaching the people, instructing the people, rejoicing with them, and instead he's sulking and he's upset and he's angry. He's missing the blessing. Why? Because he felt no love, no compassion for these people. Jonah didn't view them souls needing to be saved. He disdained them. He wanted them destroyed. Now, as I thought about Jonah's attitude here, you know, what a contrast it is with the attitude of our Lord. Let's just turn over to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Luke 19, verse 41, it says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. See our Lord here as he comes into view of the city of Jerusalem. And the Lord, it says, weeps over Jerusalem. Why? Because the Lord wept for their con- for the state they were in, the state of unbelief. The Lord was concerned for these people. He loved these people. He was moved with compassion for them. And we see this numerous times throughout the the scriptures we see the lord's compassion turn to matthew chapter 9 in matthew chapter 9 and verse 36 it says but when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd he's moved with compassion for these people Likewise, you turn over to chapter 14 and verse 14. We see the same thing. It says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion towards them, and he healed their sick. And, you know, we could go through passage after passage and see the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ was moved with compassion. When Christ saw the need of the unsaved, the need of the, the sinful, Christ was moved with compassion for them. He had love and compassion towards the lost. You know, he saw them as a people in need, complete contrast to Jonah. He saw them as a people needing to be destroyed. 
Christ viewed people as a pity, he saw you and I as people he viewed. Now, Matthew chapter 9, verse 11 to 13, makes it clear that this was Christ's purpose in coming, for sinners. Matthew chapter 9, verse 11, we'll start in verse 10, it says, And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold me not tradition, but they that are sick. So go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now this was our Lord's purpose in coming. It was to come to call sinners to repentance. He came because he has compassion upon you and I, upon the lost. Second Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The fact of the matter is that our Lord and Savior Jesus came to this earth not just to save the Jews, he came to save the Gentiles as well. He came to save all of us. Why? Because our God is a loving and gracious God. That is the character of our God. He loves us even when we are sinners. Now, this is what motivated Christ in his ministry, his love for you and I. And you know, that ought to motivate us in our ministry as well. Love and compassion for the lost. Now, this ought to be one of the main reasons for our service. Yes, we're serving for the Lord. We're serving because we love the lost. Because of our love for him and our love for the unsaved. You see, we ought to look upon the unsaved and desire genuinely for them to come to Christ. We ought to look upon the unsaved and be moved with compassion. Now, it shouldn't matter if they are the worst person in the world. God still loves them. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter how sinful they are. God still loves them. And He still wants them to come to Him, and so should we. We should still desire them to be saved as well. This ought to motivate you and I in our ministry, our love for God and our love for the lost. You know, so unfortunately, so often, like Jonah, you know, we serve with the wrong heart attitude, don't we? You know, God may still use us in our ministry graciously as He did with Jonah, but so often we do it with the wrong attitude. And so we miss the blessing. You know, we may not hate the people we're ministering to as Jonah did. Okay, we may not hate them. You know, how often is it true that we serve without truly loving the people we're ministering to? truly loving them. You know, or how easy is it for you and I to love some more than others? You know, our youth group or Awanas Sparks, you know, it's easy to love the clean, well-dressed kids from the nice home that smells nice, isn't it? But the kids from the bad home that smells horrible, hasn't had a bath in a week and has been neglected, you and I have a trouble at times of loving them, don't we? And it's wrong. It's sinful. It's the wrong attitude. We may not hate them, but we show different degrees of love, different degrees of attention. We do the same at times maybe as a church. You know, a clean living couple comes to church and we show them lots of attention. Then a rough looking couple turns up with tattoos all over them and smelling like smoke and we avoid them. We're doing the same as Jonah, are we not? It's the exact same attitude. It's the exact same thing. It's a lack of love and compassion for the lost. See, they all need the Lord. No matter who they are or where they're from, they all need the Lord. And you and I need to examine our heart attitude and make sure that when we are serving the Lord, we're doing it with love and compassion for all. 
Now, our Lord is not a respecter of persons, and neither should we. We should love all whom we reward. Now, of course, there are other ways that we can serve with the wrong attitude as well. It's not always just love, is it, folks? We can serve grudgingly as well, because out of it to be somewhere else. And so we turn up, but we don't really want to be there. Well, that's the wrong attitude too, isn't it? You know, or maybe we do it because we're serving out of pride. We're doing it simply to glorify ourselves. We want people to see us in our ministry. That's the wrong attitude. And I could keep going on listing wrong attitudes, but you know what I'm talking about. The motivation of service is to be that we love the Lord and we love the lost, not to be anything else. You know, if we're serving the wrong heart attitude, then you know I need to get our hearts right. You know, the, ad- the answer is not guilt. Just because we're serving the wrong heart attitude doesn't mean we should quit. We should give up. Jonah still served the Lord with the wrong attitude and God used him. Okay, God can still use us. We're just going to miss the blessing. Don't quit. Instead, get our attitudes right and keep serving the Lord. Keep on obeying the Lord. Don't disobey the Lord because your attitude's wrong. You know, I need to get our attitudes right and keep serving the Lord. You know, as we look at the passage here in Jonah, you know, God certainly wasn't happy with Jonah and his attitude at the point in time. God wasn't happy with his servant, and so God graciously now begins to rebuke his servant, and he sets about correcting Jonah's heart attitude. And so let's look secondly this morning at Jonah's heart correction. Go back to chapter 4. Jonah's heart correction. And we'll just start by reading verse, verse 4. It says, Then said the Lord, Doest thou well? to be angry. You know, God begins his response here to Jonah with a simple yet pointed question. He's simply asking, doest thou well to be angry? You know, God asks Jonah here, he says, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Are you justified in your anger, in your wrath? Now, this question really was served by God to get Jonah thinking about his heart attitude. And the reality is, if Jonah was, you know, walking close to the Lord at this time, Jonah would have been awakened to his heart attitude at this point in time. This question really should have been enough to get him thinking about himself and to go, yeah, I'm wrong. I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm sinning. But, you know, instead of answering the Lord and considering what he's doing, we find that Jonah instead goes outside the city and he builds himself a booth. And he waits. Look in verse 5, it says, So Jonah went outside of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. Now Jonah decides that he's going to go outside and he's going to sit down and watch. So he builds himself a little shelter, he sits and he watches the city. Basically what he's doing is he's waiting to see whether God will change his mind. He's waiting to see whether, you know, God still destroy the city of Nineveh. He's sort of hoping inside that maybe the people's repentance will be short-lived. You know, maybe it'll last just a week and they'll be back to it and God will destroy it. That's what he's doing here. He's sitting down, watching and waiting because he wants to see God destroy them. He wants ringside seats, basically, to their destruction. You know, it's while he's sitting here on the hillside watching that God now is about correcting Jonah for his hard attitude. And God does this by the use of an object lesson. 
And God, first of all, prepares the object lesson in verses 6 to 8, and then he applies the object lesson in verses 9 to 11. So let's just look first of all at the object lesson. Object lesson. Verse 6, he says, And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from the tree. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. So God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehemently wind. And the sun beat upon Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to be dead, to die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. So now here we find God's object lesson. As I said, Jonah has gone outside the city. He's prepared a little shelter. He's sat there to watch and wait. And you know, God sees Jonah sitting under this booth and he sees that he's not exactly comfortable. He sees he's a bit discomfortable. It says that in um, 6, to deliver him from his grief. So God sees his situation. God sees he's not comfortable. And so God provides Jonah with a gourd to provide better shelter. And a gourd is basically a vine that has very large leaves and it grows quickly. But God causes this vine to grow exceedingly rapidly and to protect Jonah from the sun. And so Jonah is very happy about this. Now we read at the end of verse 6, it says, Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. He's exceedingly glad. That's the pre-class to verse 1, isn't it? Where he was exceedingly displeased, exceedingly angry. He's now exceedingly glad. Because of this gourd that has come up and is providing him with comfort, with ease from the sun. Now it's in the only time in the whole of the book of Jonah we find Jonah is said to be glad with fish. And what's he glad about? A promise. Jonah's glad of a promise. Now, Jonah's happiness was motivated here by selfishness, wasn't it? Why was he happy? He was happy because the gourd was providing him with shelter. It was providing him with comfort and ease. Because God had shown him some grace. And so Jonah is happy. Jonah to the moon, he's thrilled by this. Jonah couldn't find joy. God showing mercy and grace to a city of a million people, but he can get But God is going to make him comfortable. Now, verse 7 goes, Oh, so God then sends a worm to destroy the gourd. It says in verse 7, But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, smote the gourd that it withered. No, so God now sends a worm. This worm attacks the roots and it kills the and it withers and dies, leaving Jonah one and exposed to the rays of the sun. Things worse, God also sends a vehement east wind. It says that in verse 8. Past when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah. So the, the hot sun, and now God sends this hot east wind as well, this desert wind. And the two combine to suck the life out of Jonah, basically. He faints. He's so exhausted from the heat, he's got heat exhaustion here, and he's he's ready to die because of the the sun and the wind. See, Jonah's joy here is taken away. The thing that he had joy in, the thing that made him exceedingly glad, made him comfortable, is now taken away by God. And once what do we find? We find Jonah desiring to die. Jonah is once more upset. He is angry and he just wants to die. Now he couldn't stand the, the heat anymore. He couldn't stand the spring any longer. And so he wishes to die and be relieved of it all. You know, it's now that we find that God once again speaks to his servant. And in doing so, God applies this object lesson. The events have just unfolded. God now applies it to Jonah. 
And begin verse 9 with a similar question to verse 4. He says in verse 9, And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gall? God asks him once again. God says, Are you justified in your anger? And this time it's anger, O death of the gall. You know, Jonah's response is immediate, isn't it? Jonah immediately responds and says, I do well to be angry even unto death. You can almost imagine out and he's taking his fist at death, aren't you? And saying, I do very well to be angry. I'm completely justified in my anger. Because he feels he has every right to be angry, every right to be upset here because the God, the thing that gave him comfort and ease, has been taken away. You know, this God that he had become to has died. The thing that brought him joy and comfort is gone. So Jonah thinks that he is justified in his anger. You know, it's only now after Jonah expresses so clearly his affection for this God, his great love for God, now begins to show Jonah the error of his heart. You see, in verse 10, God points out the fact that he had pity or compassion on a God that he had not nursed or cared for. Verse 10, it says, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the God, for which not it, neither made his fish grow, which came up in a night, perished in the night. You know, Jonah had done nothing to make this God well. He had not planted it. Jonah had not watered it. He had not nurtured for it, not cared for it. He had done nothing for this God to make it grow. God had in his grace provided it to comfort Jonah. And when it was gone, Jonah was grieved at the loss of it. He was grieved. He was upset over the loss of this comfort. He was upset. He is broken. This is what he's angry about. He's angry because his comfort, his ease he found in the God has been taken away. He's upset because a simple plant has died. You know, and this is in complete contrast to the God. You know, Jonah loved the God that he hadn't even planted, hadn't even cared for. He loved the God just because it was comfort. You know, in contrast, God loved the city of sinners who he had created. Look at verse 11. He says, and should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than sixscore thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Now God says to Jonah, he says, you had pity, you had love, you had anger over the death of God, and I'm not allowed to have pity on a city of my of people who I created, animals even, the cattle, the his creation. Remember that Jonah was angry with God for this city. That's why he was angry initially. He's angry because God spared this city, because God showed them grace. Jonah didn't think it was right for God to be merciful to this wicked city. You know, God clearly shouts to Jonah here the error of his way. He felt justified in pitying a plant that died, that he hadn't even cared for, but somehow God is not allowed to pity a city of people who are lost and on their way to hell. God's not allowed to show them compassion. God's not allowed to somehow show compassion to his creation. Jonah here is made to realize just how selfish, inconsiderate, and sinful his attitude's been. You know, Jonah is made to realize and understand that his God loves all creatures, not just the Jews. That's really where this all stems from, his attitude of the Jews. God loves all people, Jews and Gentiles. And he's made to realize that he is Almighty God. They are all his creation, and God cares for them all. You know, the contrast between Jonah's heart and God's heart is clear. 
Jonah didn't love these people at all. He hated them. He was concerned only with himself and his own comfort. That's where Jonah felt love, isn't it? In his own comfort, his own things that you know made his life easier. He was concerned comforts of this life rather than the souls of the people. Now, as he sits under that booth, looks at gourd. Before him is a city, and it says in verse eleven, "There's 120,000 children." Forget the adults. There's 120,000 children, and yet Jonah can't be moved with compassion and pity for this city, and for a gourd for a plant. This is Jonah's heart laid bare by Almighty God. Jonah is a selfish man consumed by hate and anger towards these people. And his only concern, his only joy in life is his comfort and ease. You know, as we read this chapter, you know, it's very easy for you and I to sit in judgment, don't we? It's very easy for you and I to sit there and look at Jonah and say, how could he be so callous? How could this man be so uncaring that he sits under the booth and all he can care about is shade for himself? He doesn't care about the soul of these people. Now, it's very easy for you and I to sit here and criticize him, to shake our heads at him, and think, how could he be so heartless? You know, the reality is that so often we are exactly like Jonah. We are exactly like Jonah. Because, you know, like Jonah, we are more concerned with the gourds of our lives than we are with the souls of men. We're more concerned with the comfort of our life, the ease of our life, the things that make our life easier than we are about the souls of men, the men who are going to hell. You know, we find joy, we find happiness in the gourds in our lives, but we can't find happiness in the salvation of souls. We can't find concern for the souls, but we're concerned about our comfort, our ease. And then we get all upset when our comfort is taken away. We get all upset because God allows something to go wrong. We lose something. One of those things that makes our life easier, makes our life easier. We lose a job or something. We get upset and we get all angry and upset about this. We lose sleep over it. Meanwhile, souls are going to hell. And our focus is what? Ourselves and our own comfort, our own ease. How are we any different than Jonah? We're no different. We're exactly the same in this in this day and age, particularly where we live in a materialistic society, it is so easy for you to be like this. It's so easy for you and I to solely have our eyes upon our own comfort, our own ease, the things that make our lives, and that's where we find joy, that's where we find happiness, that's the things we get up and we don't look at the souls of men. We couldn't care about them. We forget about those around us who are lost, dying, and on their way to hell. Beloved, you and I need to get our eyes off the temporal and get our eyes on the world. Get our eyes on these who are lost and on their way to hell. As the Bible says, the fields are white and ready on the harvest. Get our eyes on ourselves. Who cares about the comforts of this life? Let God take care of them. God will provide them. We don't need to worry about them. Instead, let's get our eyes on the souls of men. Get a passion for souls. I think too often, even myself today, our, our passion is elsewhere. Our focus is elsewhere. But our focus needs to be on the souls of men. God loves them. Our God is a God of compassion. He wants them to be saved, and so should we. We need a passion for souls. Now, we're going out today to go leaflet dropping, and that's what we're doing that for, is it not? We want to get the gospel out in those homes. You and I should look forward to today, have a passion today to go leaflet dropping. 
want to get out of there, want to do it, take our kids, teach our kids that this is important. Because it is important for others. There's souls out there going to hell. Our city is going to hell and we need to tell them. And we need to get a passion for souls, get a passion for the lost. Beloved, let's not be like Jonah and sit under our booze with our gourds, concerned only with ourselves. Get our eyes up and look under the field for what's ripe in the harvest. Beloved, I wonder today that you have a passion for souls. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the example of Jonah. As we look at Jonah and we look at his hard attitude, Lord, the anger, the hatred he felt, the complete lack of compassion for the lost. Lord, it is so easy to sit in judgment of him, but Lord, how true is it of ourselves today? That we live in a material world and so often, Lord, that is our focus. It consumes us, Lord. Our eyes are on ourselves. Our eyes are on our own comfort and ease. Lord, I pray that you help us as individuals, help us as a church to get our eyes off these things, get our eyes onto the to the lost, Lord. Those who need you, help us to have a passion for souls. And Lord, as we get a passion for souls, may you, Lord, do the work. May you bring them to you in faith. In Jesus' name.